guys, happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. So, I brought you guys a special interview last week, and on today's episode, I got another one coming up, and this time it's with Dylan Dennis. That's at the end of the show, but first I want to tell you about some recent comments made by Hosmet Chemayev and Marlon Vera. Plus, I came across this news story a little bit earlier. Jeff Neal is out. Says he won't be fighting Rachmanov in a couple of weeks. Rachmanov is 16-0. If I'm wrong, it's 15-0, but it's all finishes. Knocked out eight guys. Submitted seven guys. However the math works out, all finishes. I mean, it's really remarkable talent. Rachmanov has just had a hard time getting exposure. I love to talk about him. I find him to be an extremely talented guy. Future championship quality. I don't know if Rachmanov's his first name, his last name, or a nickname. And that isn't my fault. That's his. Right? That's this kind of one piece of the puzzle that he's still working his way through. And Jeff Neal would have been a very meaningful opponent. If you're in the ring and you're fighting Jeff Neal, however that goes, you're going to be remembered. But Jeff is one of those guys that makes people stop, makes people watch. So big opportunity, a big opportunity missed. And one of the reasons I bring it up, I don't know if they're going to keep him on the card. Who's going to fill in for Jeff Neal should be the conversation that we're having. I don't know if it is. Because guys don't want to fight, believe me. They say they want to fight. They love it when that's in headlines. They love to be talked about in that vein. And these fighters all want to fight until there's some fighting to do. i never quite seen anything like it. There is no better path to the big time than to be ready on short notice. If you're a 170-pounder and you're on the regional scene, you're trying to break in, you're trying to get into Dana White Contender Series, maybe just for an example, you're trying to get onto the Ultimate Fighter, just for example, you're trying to win enough uh, matches to get discovered by Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard. That's good stuff, and I've been in your shoes, and I really feel for you, and I, I know what a competitive business it is. But, but if that's you at 170 pounds, and you have not reached out to the UFC to tell them, I will fight Rachmanov in two weeks. If you haven't done that for whatever your excuse is, I'm not ready, I didn't train hard enough, uh, God, I can't make weight that quickly, whatever your excuse is. But it, it's time to have a real good look at the man in the mirror and to really ask yourself, is this what I want to do? Now, one guy did speak up, and wouldn't you know, it was Kevin Lee. And Kevin Lee was actually doing a different interview that just had, happened to come out at the same time that Neil announces he's not going to be fighting Rachmanov. And Kevin Lee was offering and saying that he would like to fight Chemayev. And Kevin Lee had a very tough exit from the UFC. At least for me. As a Kevin Lee fan, I had a hard time with it. Back the tape up, Kevin Lee was a 55-pounder. He hurt his knee. He was out of the cage for a meaningful amount of time. He returns from an injury at a weight class that he hadn't competed in yet. I mean, things generally aren't that smooth of sailing. Turned out his opponent was a straight-up badass, but he didn't quite have a name. So people didn't quite realize at the time why Kevin got beat. I'm just sharing for you. 
if Kevin Lee is willing to go in there and fight Rachmanov and nobody else is, I hope that he's considered for the opportunity. That's what I'm sharing. You always ask me, where's Kevin Lee fit in all this? I think it's an interesting proposition. I don't know that there's a better idea. I don't know that by the time I make this piece and get it to you guys, or even by the time the event rolls around in a couple of weeks, I don't know that Rachmanov's going to stay on the card. Because I don't know of a guy that I can think of that would step in and face him. You get the guys that are already signed to the UFC. Those are your really big excuse makers. Believe, oh, God, oh, I'd love to do, ah, that, ah, geez, I just can't, you know, ah, that date with the new year coming, ah. Is there any other time? Oh, man, I saw his fight fell apart. Oh, God, my shoulder wasn't hurting me. Boy, I was going to text you. I was going to I was gonna ask you if I could do that fight. But, uh, you know, I got to be smart, though. I got to be smart. I got this shoulder. So it's very hard to turn to somebody that's already there. You've got to turn to somebody who wants an opportunity, who wants to fight Rachmanov. They're going to take one look at that. They're going to see that he's 15 or 16 fights with a big old goose egg over there, and he finished everybody, and... I want it, but I don't want it that bad. I mean, I, I'm really not attempting to put people down, by the way. I'm just making a prediction for you as to what's going to happen. And I want you to take what's going to happen, and I want you to juxtapose it against what could happen. What would happen if somebody called? What would happen for those guys that are on the cusp, right? Because there's guys on the cusp, if you will, that are already identified. We just don't know about them yet. They're already in the year. They've already been told by the matchmakers. Hey, go out, get one more. Hey, go get a couple more. Hey, we're, we're, we're completely full right now, but we know who you are. We're seeing you. If one of those guys that's already on the tip of the tongue was to send a text and or an email and or a phone call and say, I'll do it. I'll take on Rachmanov. There's guys out there with beautiful records that we don't know about. I mean, believe me, there's guys that are 9-0. There's guys that are 11-0. There's guys that are 13-2. They've got these beautiful records. All they need is an opportunity. And the opportunity is here. It appears to be here right now. And if those guys aren't calling, and I'm just guessing, I don't know, the guys that are already signed aren't asking for the chance. One guy spoke up. His name's Kevin Lee. And Kevin Lee versus Rachmanov. I know who the favorite would be. But let's not pretend that that's not still an interesting fight. Okay, so that's the news of the week. And now I want to transition to the division that all of us have been talking about this month, the light heavyweights. What would you do? What would you do if you had a magic wand to weigh over matchmaking in the Ultimate Fighting Championship? And I got to tell you, I see myself that I could fill any role. Somebody gets, hey, chill, can you cover for me? I'm gone for a day, I'm gone for a week, I'm gone for a month. Boom, I'll slide into any role. I see myself that way. Not matchmaking. Matchmaking is a skill and an art in and of itself, and if you have it, you have something very rare. You guys know the story of how Joe Silva started with matchmaking? This story has been told many times, and nobody's ever corrected it, including Joe. So I've always accepted it as truth. But but I must tell you that I've never actually heard Joe say these words, but I do believe the story, and it was something along these lines. Okay, now go, you got to go back to 1993. This is before Dana White and company by the organization in 2001. 
Somewhere back then in 1993, Joe Silva was a fan, and Joe knew martial arts. Many people don't know that about him because he doesn't carry himself like Mr. Rough Guy, but he is. I mean, he's got his own gym at home, and Muay Thai was his real favorite. Kickboxing. Okay. I'm only sharing that with you because now you have a guy that kind of understands and he knows what he's looking at, but he also knows what he would have trouble dealing with if somebody else came. So he's able to apply some of this personal experience into his matchmaking, and he gets a number for the UFC. And the way this story was told, it was like in the back of a black belt magazine. It was an email address. It was a phone number, something like this. And Joe calls it and tells him, hey, here's your problem with your matchmaking. I like these 10 guys you got on your car, but you should have put X with Y. You should have put B up here with D. And here's the reasoning. He gets the other person to listen. The other person goes, well, what would you do with this situation? And Joe tells him, but he also tells him why. Here's what you can expect, and here's why that matchup works. So Joe started giving them cards. Okay, here's your players. Put this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And before you knew it, the guy on the other end just said, hey, this is now your job. You're now the matchmaker. You're going to do that for all of these. And that, that's really close to exactly what happened. And that was a position that Joe kept forever until Joe said, I don't want to do this anymore. But you can also see where somebody that has that ability is very hard to replace because there's not a lot of us with that ability. I'm one of them. So what would you do at 170 and at 185? You're in a very unique spot. We're possibly your best guy. Alex Pierre is possibly the best middleweight alive. And I know out of respect we're going to say that he is because he has the championship. But you also understand, if I was to start doing some parody there, there's a number of fights that Alex Pierre would not be the favorite at DraftKings if they got matched up. Can we agree on that? So he might be the best. And then you take a, t a look at Chemayev. Chemayev might be the best welterweight in the world. Now, I'm not trying to disrespect Usman or our champion Leon Edwards. I'm saying he might be. Can we agree? They have one thing in common. And this came out from both of them this week. Chemayev's manager was speaking over here, and Pierre's manager was speaking over here, and I caught them both. And you want to know the one commonality they have? Neither of them can take a fight on short notice. And the manager stated the reasoning for both guys. Two separate interviews. Our guys can't make weight quickly. Chemayev can make 170, but it's going to take him some time. Alex can make 185, but it's going to take him some time. Now, that's very relevant. There could be other people like this. But we do understand as fans within this industry the power and at times the necessity of making something happen really fast. There was a light heavyweight fight on our last pay-per-view that shockingly ended in a draw. And between the conclusion of that match and the press conference, which is only moments, the UFC was able to make a title fight between Glover and Hill. I mean, things have to be, and you see the opportunity there. You saw how happy Hill was. You saw how willing Glover was. Their opponents, uh, by example, Lionheart comes to mind, who now loses his opponent as Hill. I mean, everybody understood, because we understand at times we have to be able to do things that happen very fast, but we have Chemayev, who might be the best. We have Alex Piera, who might be the best. But they need time to prepare. They need time to prepare to beat the scale the day before. What would you do? 
If Alex Pierre was no longer champion, here might be another way I would ask it. If Alex Pierre was no longer champion, he gets beat. He gets stripped. He walks away. Does he get an immediate title shot at 205 pounds? Think of that. Think of what your answer would be. But now ask that about Chemayev. If Chemayev was to walk away from 170, which is a position that he's in right now, and it's a choice. It's a choice to say, I'm not going to go back down there. He's still undefeated. He's still a top guy, though he hasn't beaten the top middleweights, but that is a division that is massively in flux for a variety of reasons. Does he walk right in and get a title shot? If you have the power, what do you do? You then have somebody who's slipping through the cracks, and not for long, and his name is Rachmanov. Rachmanov is awesome. I don't have Sherdog in front of me. I'm going off the top of my head here, guys, but I'm damn close. I'm good at this, and I know I'm close. I'm going to tell you that Rachmanov is 15-0. and I'm going to tell you that he's finished every single fight. Seven of them were striking finish, TKO and KO, and eight of them were submission finish. Now, I'm very close, and before you have to correct me, don't think I'm going to appreciate you for correcting me. I'm going to think you're a bit of a nerd if you know that any better than I did. I think I'm a bit of a nerd for knowing that in the first place. But he's awesome, right? He's awesome. And he had a very weird 2022. He didn't break through. He's not a breakthrough star. I'm a fan. I talk about him when I can, but I have to call him Rachmanov. I don't know if that's his first name or his last name or a nickname. That's not my fault. That's his. But he's awesome. And he's got to get his exposure. He had a fight with Neil Magny. That should have been very meaningful. But he only had two fights in all of 2022. He didn't get some major headlines. He's up in two weeks. In two weeks, he will be a feature match, not a main event, on the worldwide leader opposite Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal matters. Jeff Neal's got the record, but he's also got the temperament, and he has the look. He looks the part. But will that be the breakthrough moment for Rachmanov? That's largely up to Rachmanov's management. That's largely up to Rachmanov. How many people do you want to tell? How many people do you have the ability to tell? How many people do you have the ability to make care and be interested in your fight? Because I do care. But that fight's two weeks away, and I found out about it this morning. That's not my fault. I read all this stuff. He's a fellow wrestler. I would do my best to serve him when I can. But I have to know some of those things. And I share that with you because Neil is on the come up. Rachmanov is on the come up. And when you're bringing guys up in a division that you think you already have established, you have to know there's a reason for doing it. Are we sure Chemayev is going to return to 170? Now that we know that he can't go to 170 on short notice because beating the scale is so difficult, would it be a good time just to move him to 85? If so, what do you do with him? Same question, but now I want you to apply it to Piera. If Piera leaves 185 pounds by choice or by defeat, does he get an immediate title shot at 205? If you had those decisions to make, what would you do? Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the plate. 
Roan's Commuter Collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. This collection can help you get ready for any occasion. They have the most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos, so you'll never have to worry about what to wear. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility and leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way from your commute to the office to meeting up with the guys after work to watch the game. My favorite thing about Roan is its wrinkle release gold fusion anti-odor technologies. I get home still smelling fresh and wrinkle free after a long day at work coaching and running around with my family. Roan is 100% machine washable, so you or your wife can ditch the trips to the dry cleaner altogether. It's time to look great and feel confident without the hassle of going from one mall store to the next. Head to Roan.com slash Use the promo code CHAIL to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to Roan.com slash R-H-O-N-E dot com slash chael. Use the promo code chael. It's time to find your corner office comfort. What do you guys think of cutting weight? Do you have an opinion on that? You know what got me thinking on this is Cheeto Vera was talking with Michael Bisping yesterday, and he said that cutting weight was cheating. Something along these lines. And then he talked about himself. He said, I cut to 135, and I cut down from 150. He said, I cut a lot of weight. He said, Aljo cuts even more weight than me. So I was a little bit confused. I mean, he wasn't like against weight cutting, but he still brought up this topic. I was just wondering what you guys thought. Because I have very different opinions. It depends who I'm talking to. I had my own experience. I was a wrestler. And I was the young one in my family. I looked up to all my cousins. But I was also the youngest one. So I'd been to their state championships and I seen some of them wrestling in college and I watched all these events. They all cut weight. I thought that's what wrestlers did. They had the swollen up ears called cauliflower ear. I wanted my cauliflower ear. I just thought that's what wrestlers did. So I get to a tournament. It was called the Classic. The Oregon Classic, which for age group wrestling, very big deal in our state. And I was a little bit over. I was three quarters of a pound, I believe. I was trying to get down to 75 pounds. But weighing 75 and three quarters, no, I don't mean 175, just 75. But being 75 and three quarters moved me up to 80 pounds. So I took my sheet back. I never never cut weight before. Never tried to drip out a sweat thinking about the scale. So they mark your sheet and they put it in a basket and you leave and you come back a couple hours later and the parents' parents room, or we call a bracket room, has you all matched up. I took the sheet back. I took the sheet back. I didn't let them write 80 pounds on there. And I went back to my dad. My dad walked me in. You know, he's got to pay the entry fee. And it was one of these things. I was so young. I had to be accompanied by my dad. I wanted to have even known what to do. And I said, I, I've, I've got to lose some weight. And I put all my gear on. It's my first time cutting weight. Now, I had never done that before. But I was very proud. I got my hood up and I'm skipping my little rope. And every now and then I'm walking over to the garbage can and I'm spitting. All these things that I had seen. And it took me a meaningful amount of time 
You know, it's, it's very hard to get a sweat going. And as much as three quarters of a pound might sound like nothing to you guys, well, when you weigh 75 pounds, it was a little bit difficult. So I get done. I get down, I go back, I take all my clothes off, I get up there, I give them my sheet, 75 pounds, they write it right on my shoulder, I walk back to where my dad is. He said, you feel better? Do you feel good? You glad you did that? I said, yeah. He said, that's a chicken SHI asterisk move. And I was stunned, I said nothing back, I couldn't believe he said this, I did everything right, I did what wrestlers do. I went and cut weight, I got to the nearest weight. He said, you didn't cut, you didn't lose that weight to wrestle somebody. You did that to not have to wrestle somebody. And he was right. He was right. The kid at 80 pounds was from USA, Oregon. His name was Isaac Wood. I did not want to wrestle him. Isaac Wood, rest his soul, by the way. I went down to 75 to get away from him. That's true. It's very true. And I never cut weight again. I got into high school. My senior year, I weighed 173 pounds. I wrestled at 185. When I got into college, I weighed 188 pounds. I wrestled at 197. I never cut weight again. All my teammates were cutting weight. I never did it again. I got into the UFC and you start to get contracts, right? Now I'm taking the testosterone, getting bigger. I mean, there was a time in my life where that was no longer true and I had to get some weight off. But I'll just share with you it's an American phenomenon. Cutting weight is an American phenomenon. If you go to the European Championships or you go to the World Championships, you go to an intercontinental championship where you're outside of the States, they don't cut weight. Those guys will wake up never having missed a meal. They'll wake up and they might be four pounds over, but they're fully hydrated. They got all their energy. They'll put their gear on. They'll go, go, go get that off in about 30 minutes. But the Americans will have started 30 days before, and they're pulling their weight down. And I can't tell you why it's an American phenomenon. I, I don't have an answer to that. That was brought to my attention by Randy Couture. And I stood back, and I have thought about it many times. Why don't you just fight at what you weigh? And that's not a perfect answer, by the way, for everybody. I was the teammates with a guy named Doug Lee. But Doug had a specific number. Doug could beat anybody in America. Ask Brad Varian, ask Daniel Cormier twice. I mean, he could beat anybody, but he had to do it at, at a specific weight class. And what Doug's number was, what his weight class represented, it, it helped to represent his cardio. To get down to that weight, there was just certain things he had to do. There was certain running, certain conditioning that he had to do, and the weight class was a byproduct. So I, I do understand these things, but why are guys cutting from 150 pounds? If you weigh 150 pounds, I would fully understand why you don't want to fight 155 with guys pulling down. But why wouldn't you go 145? I mean, I think that Cheeto brings up an interesting point. I don't know how Cheeto would do at 145. But I can tell you it would appear that he doesn't believe he would do as well as he does at 135. I, I guess it's something that would have to be tested. And everyone's got their number, but not everybody finds out what that number is. You get locked in. Why are you a 35 pounder? Well, I'm a 35 because I've always been a 35 pounder. Well, yeah, but that started six years ago. You, six years ago, you weighed 135. Why are you still at 135? And it's just something, guys, they don't even think of it. They don't even think of it until I would just ask them right now. And we see some guys doing better with the size. I'm fully convinced that Daniel Cormier was a better heavyweight than he was light heavyweight. And he was the champion of the world at light heavyweight. But he was champion of the world at heavyweight as well. Which Daniel did you think was better? I, I thought heavyweight Daniel was. And I bring, I bring some of this weight discussion 
right on the eve of us really getting ready for Volkanovsky Makhlchev. It seems so far away, right? 2023, and it's the end of February. We're, we're like three days away from being in 2023. We're three days away from that fight being next month. And a lot of the talk on it is that Islam's going to beat him. Islam's going to take him down. He's going to keep him there. He's going to beat him up when he gets him there. Now, that is what Islam does to people. But Volkanovsky doesn't get taken down, and he doesn't get held there, and he doesn't get beaten up. So we're going to have to see something new. But that's okay. It's all okay. It's all okay when that happens to Volkanovsky. He'll still be the champion. He'll still have 145 pounds to return to. And he was too small in the first place. Maybe. That's between those boys. They're going to have to go out and do that. And that might exactly be what the case is. But maybe not. Everybody has a number. And it's not very often that they ever test it, that they ever move around, that they ever have the option to. You got a a high school wrestling team, boom, I'm expecting you in this spot. Coach needs you there all season long. You go up or down, you go anywhere but sideways, you throw the team off. You get into college, you're getting scholarships, you're getting paid to fill this spot. You get into the big leagues like the Ultimate Fighting Championship, you're going to get into a category. And you're going to start fighting for contention within that category. You can't just change. We don't see it very often. Volk is being given a very unique opportunity. I just want to call this to your guys' attention now. What makes us so sure that he's not going to do better at 155? George St. Pierre, when he moved to 185, boy, he looked good. Daniel Cormier, fine example. That's a personal experience. Feeling him. Grabbing a hold of him. Working out with him. At 205, doing the same thing at heavyweight. I thought that was his number. And everything's very obvious in hindsight, right? We, we, we keep on insisting that Volk is too small. We keep saying that. But every time Volk's got a fight coming up, we talk about the fact that he used to play rugby and that he weighed 211 pounds when he played rugby. It would seem as though he's going to have more energy. It would seem as though he's going to have more effort and energy to put into the actual sport and the dynamic strategical techniques he needs to do to beat this opponent and not have to worry about getting in the sauna. Not having to worry about skipping that meal. It would, it would just seem. You've never seen him at 155 pounds. You don't know how he looks at 155 pounds. It's a little bit of food for thought. But counting out this smaller guy. Or guys that are trying to cut weight to get a fight. I'll just share with you. And I'll throw myself into that mix. It's not sometimes. It's not part of the time. It's 100% of the time. You do not lose weight to fight somebody. You lose weight when you're trying to avoid having to fight somebody. So before I get to the interview with Dylan Dennis, I wanna give some of the newer fans a history lesson about a promotion that all of us used to love. Sugar Sean was talking about pride rules. It was just a topic. He was just talking about what would Pride rules be like or what would the UFC be like right now if they followed the rules of Pride. Now, now let me stop you there as far as the tie-in to Sugar Sean. He didn't overly love the rules. He was just making a comparison. And I got to tell you, though, I hear that all the time. I mean, I hear people and I hear fighters and I hear fans of fighting always bringing up Pride. Do you guys even know what Pride is? I mean, you hardcores that go, go back a while, sure you do. And great memories from the Pride days. But why, why is that? It's an interesting phenomenon. Because whenever I do hear Pride spoke about, 
it's always in a very positive way to, to the point that if you were to put pride head to head with any other organization, I hear pride winning like in folklore or popular culture, if you will, or with the kids on the underground, where does that come from? And should, do we need to set that record straight? I mean, for those of you that, that remember pride and you love it, you, you remember and you love an organization that failed. Just to start with, and for the rest of you that don't even know what pride is, don't waste your time going and finding out. Now, I'll share with you, I like pride very much, and I have a lot of great memories from that. But pride was doing something different. And I'm only speaking to the phenomenon of people using the comparison. Here, here, here would be a fine example. Pride had three rounds. There was a 10-minute round, and then there was a five-minute round, and another five-minute round. And so even though it was 20 minutes... It was to be judged as one long round. So you could win three minutes. You could dominate and do a bunch of damage in three minutes. And you could lose the next 17 and you would win the fight. That's not the way it is in the States. That's not what the unified rules call for. That's not what a 10-9 must system calls for. So it was something that was unique and it was something that was different about Pride. Just for an example. And Pride had a really awesome level of production. They had this woman serving in the role of, uh, of like Bruce Buffer, Michael C. Williams, if you will, the ring announcer. They had this woman doing it and her voice was incredible. She apparently was like a former opera singer and she would introduce these guys and she would say their name and it was just this really unique thing. And they weren't against doing a freak show. If you were seven foot two and 400 pounds, and you wanted to put on four-ounce gloves, short pants, and grab a mouthpiece, you probably could get a match in pride against a 5'3", 190-pound opponent. They were into these kinds of things. So there was a spectacle, and there was something to see, but on that same card where you got this spectacle, what I've heard many people label as a freak show, you would then have two of the best guys in the world that were similar weight class. Like, you would have a freak show take place, and an hour later, you would have Sakuraba standing across from Vandalay Silva. So it was always this confusion. It was kind of like a little, little something for everybody. I have been very critical of Pride because Pride had a number of fixed matches, and I know that that upsets some of the athletes. I don't say that to upset the athletes. It was a fascinating thing. When you, If you're going to go do what we call a work in professional wrestling, both of the wrestlers get in the locker room in the back. What's called a booker comes in. And they tell the guys just a few things about the match. Hey, you guys got seven minutes of airtime. They'll look to the winner and say, you're going to win by pinfall. Or you're going to win by countout. Or this is going to a dis double disqualification. They'll give them a couple of things that the match needs to have. And then the booker leaves the room and he goes to somebody else's locker room and he does the same thing. Those two wrestlers then figure out what the spots are going to be. Okay, great. I'm just sharing with you, like, that's how you would do a work match for professional wrestling, which is very open to the audience, as this is entertainment, this is not competition. What Pride would do was something very interesting where they would only visit one locker room. And it was the losing locker room. And they would explain to that guy when and how he was going to go down. And the reason I found that so interesting is when you're capturing that on camera, and we've seen works in MMA. They were done really, really poorly. 
And the reason Pride was able to get away with it is the celebration by the victor looks so sincere, and it looks sincere because it was sincere, and it was sincere because he didn't know that the other guy was told when to go down. Now, that's a fascinating concept for those of you that follow that. I do get pushback on that sometimes by what's called a mark that will tell me that that didn't happen. Fair enough. It's, it's really not the hill that I want to die on. I'm just explaining to you why you saw a number of things happen in Pride. And then, and then we also had a belief with Pride that it had the superior athletes. You could argue production. You could argue audience. You could have this real toss-up. But the Pride athletes were the number one MMA athletes in the world. That was not true. And we know that that wasn't true. Only because when those contracts were absorbed and they came to the UFC, we saw a number of those guys going down. Now, they were very good, and they had their level of success, too. I I don't attempt to recreate history. But I will tell you, I do get a little annoyed when other people attempt to recreate history on me and tell me how great Pride was. Pride is an organization that is no more. Pride is an organization that came to North America one time and did not sell out the venue that they played. Pride tried to do a boxing ring, which has never worked in North America, not for MMA. The only promotions that have ever gotten over in the States are with a cage. Now, I can keep doing this. I can keep playing this game. But I'll always have somebody that meets me back and wants to tell me how great it was and how it was the best and how they missed the Pride days. And they'll even talk about the scoring system, which I laid out for you a moment ago. Now, you may like that more. You you might. It's a scoring system that didn't hold up. It's a scoring system that didn't get adopted. I feel as though that means it's a scoring system that tested itself against the leadership and got voted down. But that isn't generally how I hear the story of pride. I hear it with such incredibly fond memories. And I have them too, to an extent. But I didn't get lost in the nostalgia. I bought in at the time. I mean, right, it was just debated in the media who's got the better fighters. And the American media were telling us that it was pride. So we brought those guys over, put them in the UFC. One of them became champion. I don't know if Big Nog was ever the champion in pride. I don't know that. He had those awesome fights with Fedor. I believe that he was a Pride champion. It could have been a tournament, a Grand Prix. They did a number of things. Big Nog came over here and he won the UFC championship. I can't think of anyone else. Let's see. Okay, Rampage came over. I'm I'm doing this off the top of my head. Rampage came over. He grabbed the belt for a moment. Henderson came over. He got to the finals three times, twice at middleweight, once at 205. And they had some damn good fighters. It was an interesting production. I love the woman with the opera voice. I really did. I thought the production was legitimate. I liked how the confetti fell out of the sky. I just don't know why every single time we put pride head to head with another organization, we automatically concede that they were better. They're an organization that went under. If you think I'm wrong, fight me. Okay, guys, I promised you an interview with Dylan Dennis, and the time has come. In case you live under a rock, 
Dylan is a Bellator guy who actually has a boxing fight coming up with a YouTuber named KSI, and he's here to talk about that fight and much more. Dylan, what's happening, buddy? Feeling good, man. Training hard, a lot of sparring, uh, switching over to boxing, so just feeling good. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to you and KSI, but I have been thoroughly enjoying you and Ariel Helwani. I got to tell you, I think you guys get along well together, but Ariel yeah. looks genuinely agitated. Is it? What is that? Is he really get annoyed with you? Ariel's a tough kind of, I don't know, he's, he's weird. He's very emotional, very sensitive. He can give it out, but he can't take it, which is like one of the worst things you could be in this world. You know, when you're in high school or, you know, any anywhere really, whenever you're in a friend group, no one really likes the guy that can, you know, talk shit to everybody. But when he gets it back, he can't take it and he goes home crying. That's kind of how Ariel is. Um, he's a bully. He doesn't take criticism well. But the interview did uh, the best numbers that he's gotten all year. So right now it's his most viewed interview. And Dylan, I think that that's why I asked, because you guys yeah. are really great together, and not very many people get to come in studio. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I've ever been in Ariel's studio. That's like, you know, for a high-level guest, he brings you in, you guys seem to have this great rapport, and then he appears to not enjoy your company. I'm just wondering if that was sincere, because when I watched it, and to, to your point, it did huge numbers, I liked every second of it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, because, I mean... Obviously, I'm not going to fight him. He's calling me, you know, words and stuff like that. You know, I just took I, I took it as a grain of salt. I, you know, I was an adult there. I feel like he was just coming off as, you know, very hostile and very agitated. Um, yeah, I don't know. He, he's weird to gauge. He's a very weird kind of guy. Like, I can't tell. Like, after he went to talk to me. So, I really can't tell if he took it to heart. Um, I didn't take anything he said to heart. I mean, I, I can, he just bounces right off me, you know. So, I'm kind of used to it. Maybe, maybe he's not used to getting criticism to his face. Um, even when I walked out of the studio, all his guys are like clapping, like, oh, that's going to be great. It's the best numbers we've ever done on the live. And, uh, he was just like super upset. I don't know. I heard he was on like estrogen. So like maybe he's on estrogen, like replacement therapy or something. He's very emotional. All right, Dylan, let me switch gears. So I'm in Mexico. I'm going back a month ago. I'm in Mexico with my kids. I'm minding my own business and getting an internet feed was actually tough where I was at. One of the few pieces of news I got was you going to a press conference for Misfits. Now, I didn't know you and KSI had any heat. I didn't know that this fight was going to be built. You end up in something, something in a parking lot with, with a, a bunch of boxers. And then the very next day, it's announced you versus KSI. Where did that come from? Is that why they invited you in, in the first place? Was this a last minute thing? Because that's how I personally found out. Yeah, so originally I was going to fight Logan Paul. Um, it was already signed. Everything was done, ready to go. And then he blew his knee out in WWE. And he wanted me to wait for his knee surgery and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I'd rather just fight. You know, I don't want to keep waiting. So they offer KSI and I was like, yeah, it's fine. I don't care. I just want to, you know, take a fight. And, uh, so it was supposed to be announced on that same date, me and Logan, but then instead we did me and KSI. And I go to this event. It's just like a shit show, to be honest. Like they hadn't, I don't know, it's just like very run poorly. They have everybody around kind of trying to make a name. And I knew this was going to happen. I kind of told them that I'm like, all these guys are, you know, when I walk in, all their eyes are like beaming. Like, so, um, yeah, so I get there, I, everything that happens, happens. The security kind of takes me out back into the car, but the car is not there. So I'm like waiting. And then like everybody's coming out and I'm like, all right, this is going to be, you know, obviously one of those. And I'm with two people that don't know how to fight. So I'm trying to protect them. I'm trying to watch my back because there's people behind us, there's people to the left of us, there's people to the right. I don't know who's even fighting who. There's like everybody's just throwing hands at me. So I'm like trying to like make sure I'm not like, you know, uh, getting hit from behind and trying to watch for my people. Um, it was fucked up, but uh, it is what it is. I'm kind of I'm used to it, but now. 
Uh, okay, so I'm, I'm trying to digest that because I saw that clip, and I want to say the guy's name. Uh, Andre Taylor, does that sound right? A Bellator boxer or a Bellator fighter, but he does some boxing. I didn't know who it was. He I, really, I just heard screaming behind me, and I was like, oh, these homeless guys out here are crazy. And so I wasn't even paying attention to him. I was just trying to get to my car. And uh, I really don't know that guy. I really don't know who that is. I think he's a, he used to fight in Bellator. I don't know. Okay. And speaking of used to fight in Bellator, I'm looking forward to you and KSI. Like, I think that's something fun. I think that's something special. But Scott Coker has commented and said, man, I've got him under contract. I would love if Dylan fought here. So that would be my question to you. Why did you choose to go box as opposed to do MMA? What was in that thought process? It's a lot of money to beat up a guy that doesn't know how to fight. Um, But now, you know, between us, I don't know when it's going to come out. I feel like this fight won't happen. Uh, I think that they're starting to get scared. I think they saw clips or people like even you saying that I was going to win and they're trying to make like weird things in the contract now two weeks before I feel like they're looking for a way out and uh if it does happen like that you know I don't wait for nobody I would jump on that belt uh belt card I think it's March 2nd or 3rd Fedor and, and Ryan Bader um I, I just keep moving so whatever happens happens I don't need anybody I, I just need myself so if they want to go and make all these stupid rules in the fight it's not a professional fight so they're trying to like do all everything handicapped for me and I'm not going to settle like that. I'm not like Tyron Woodley that needs to pay child support for eight baby mamas. You know, I I, I do what I want to do. So whatever happens, happens. I'll go back to what I, I do best, MMA, a real fight. Not a half a fight with these guys that don't know how to fight. All right. And you comment when this will come out. This is going to be five, five or six hours. When somebody sees this, it will have been done five or six hours ago. I want to say we're about 2 p.m. Eastern time for perspective. But is, is that something, I mean, is it possible that this fight gets canceled? Are you being sincere when you say that? I, I truly think that they're in over their head and they're trying to put like weird things. I don't know. I feel like they're just trying to handicap me and I won't be the kind of guy that will go into these fights with these guys handicapped. Um, you know, usually I really don't care, but it just seems like very, I don't know. It's just a lot of fishy things going on and uh, it's not on my side. I'm ready to go. Um, it's an easy fight for me. Um, I guess we'll see. And Dylan, if you want to keep that private, I won't pressure you, but I would love to know what you mean when you say handicap. Like what are the new things they're suggesting? I rehydration calls where I can't be – so the fight's at 177. And okay. I, I've been injured for, I mean, two years. And I'm obviously a bigger guy. But I'll make the weight the day before. Like, everybody is. I'm a professional. I don't miss weight. But they want me to be, like, four pounds a day – four pounds heavier the day of the fight by 4 p.m. 4 p.m. So the fight's at 7 or 8 o'clock. I don't know. And they want me to be weighing at 4 p.m. the day of the fight only four pounds heavier. And or five pounds or something like something stupid. They, I don't know. I never heard of this before. And in fact, every pound that I don't make the weight on the second day, I get a penalty, which is very heavy for each pound, which is the most stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. If I make weight the day before, why do I have to make weight again the day of the fight? And Dylan, I'll share with you, I have heard of those things before, but that's preset ahead of time. Um, to yeah, your exactly. point, to, yeah, to come in two weeks before and try to change anything. And, and some of the fans don't always understand that. You know, well, why? If he was 177 today, why can't he be 180 tomorrow? It's really hard to articulate, but but yeah. fellow competitors know. Like, that. that's just not the way this game is played. You go rehydrate, you you go for a walk. If you, you make weight the day before, you know, what's, right. that doesn't make any sense. That's the, you know, that. What fighter the next day is only two, three pounds heavier than what he was? Maybe someone like a Frankie Edgar at 155, but that's unheard of. Sure. No, I, I fully agree with you on this. And, and if you wanted yeah. to manipulate that, if that was something you had a question, then you would have the weigh-in closer to the fight. But once it's done, it's done. I fully but concede to you on that point. He's so confident. He's talking all this shit. Like, I don't understand why he would need to even do that, you know? So, Well, let's talk is. about him. 
You know, let's talk about KSI for a second, because I do see where he gets a, a lot of heat. He apparently, I thought he was a rapper, but people say no, he was like a YouTube celebrity. The bottom line is that dude can fight. He beat up two guys in one night at, at some point. I didn't watch the thing, but I read about it. I mean, he's a very legit opponent. And uh, I mean, I would just I would just ask you about that. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot that comes with Dylan Dance, but there's a lot that comes with KSI, which equals a lot of pressure on both guys. Yeah. Um, I don't see his skill level very high. I think he has one or two shots that he throws, and they're very, very basic. Um, I'm not a crazy boxer, but even for me, I, I see him as being slow. Um, overhand shots are very easy to telegraph. Um, I don't feel pressure for this. I mean, I'm a jiu-jitsu guy going into boxing. And no other jiu-jitsu guy or a grappler would do that. Um, I think that I'm, I train a lot of jiu-jitsu for this fight. I think that it's going to be easy. I'm going to be able to manipulate him the way I want. Um, I don't think he's ever felt pressure like oh, I'm going to put on him. I just see him breaking. I see him quitting or either him going down on knee. I don't know. I just see him not being able to handle the pressure. Well, I'm glad that you're back and healthy. I know that you dealt with a knee surgery. It's, it's very nice just as, from a fan perspective on a human level to see that you're back and that you're able to compete. And I was also suspended for seven months from the Khabib thing. I was suspended for that. And then I got injured. So like people are like, why is he even fought in so long? I dealt with a lot of stuff that people don't know behind the scenes, you know? I didn't know about that. They gave you a seven-month suspension. How did you get involved? I've always been a little confused in that because I read the headlines like you were the skunk at the garden party, but he came over the cage and he I came to you. I could have sued for a crazy amount of money. I mean, like, it, it got, a fighter jumps over the cage and like, when I'm cornering, I'm not even paying attention. I'm getting punched from behind. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, I obviously took it whatever it was because, you know, it's just how I am, but it's fucked up. And Dylan, I, I remember that Connor was even taking some heat for that. And I just remember as a fan going... Wait a minute, Connor's in the ring where he's supposed to be. They came to him. How yeah. how did that extend it to you or that extended to Connor? I always found that to be a surprise now that you bring that topic up. Yeah, um, I think in the lead up, they, uh, we were all kind of going back and forth with each other. And um, I think he obviously saw me after the fight. And during the fight, like a lot of people don't know, when he was up against the cage, he was like kind of like, like motioning things to me, like with his face and his fingers and stuff. And I was just kind of like, oh, it's weird. And then uh, in between rounds, when I was behind Connor, when Connor was sitting there, I was looking across from him, and he was, like, screaming at me and stuff and, like, kind of trying to come towards us still. So uh, I could just already tell he was hostile. And then after the fight, he was pointing at me and screaming. So I said, come here. Like, I went like this. And then, he, you know, he came. and uh, Yeah, it was just like that. It was crazy. Wow. Happens yeah. fast, man. It, it, it happens fast. You're bringing up some good stuff. All right, to move forward, January 14th, it's going to be on the zone. You and KSI, anything else you want to get off your chest? No, uh, I think it'll be easy fight, easy night, big payday, um, and then go back to MMA or knock out Logan Paul. I haven't decided yet what I want to do, stick with the boxing or just go back to MMA. Um, but I miss doing, you know, full fighting. Just fake, uh, not fake, just uh, half a fight. It's not, uh, it's not for me, you know. I'd rather just go back and start choking people up. Well, you look great, buddy. I wish you the best of luck. I will definitely be tuning in. Thank you, Dylan. Appreciate it, man. Good to see you, man. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Actually, that's it for a year of episodes. And I want to thank you for listening today and listening throughout 2022. I can't wait to keep giving you guys more and more of the best podcast in MMA next year, which I'll be back with on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen. Happy New Year. You are welcome.